Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia, with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together, verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll put it all together for you. So let's get started. Today, we are... You could argue that we are probably at the center point of the whole Bible. That that Isaiah 53 is probably the most important chapter in the whole Bible. You could argue that it is around this chapter that the whole message of the Bible spins. This is an insight into the death of Jesus Christ. It is an insight into the death of Jesus Christ that we don't get from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Although they describe his time on the cross, and we always traditionally think of that time on the cross as being described by these guys, and that these parts of these gospel messages are so powerful, that these chapters that do this, you know, the trial of Jesus, the crucifixion, but What's amazing is that Isaiah stands right alongside with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and in his description of Jesus Christ. But he does it, he fills in some of the descriptors that we don't get in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He gives us insight into what's happening from a different perspective, from Christ's perspective. From God's perspective, it's the missing part or some of the missing parts of that story. And it's Jesus' work on the cross that actually brings our salvation. It's his time on the cross where our sins are forgiven. It's his power. It's God's power working as Jesus is rejected by man and ultimately gives up his life that our life is saved. How often do we overlook Isaiah 53 and what is going on? We talk about prophecies leading up to it, or we talk about the consequences of it. But how often do we talk about that that time in human history when the world became dark? And as McGee was pointing out, he went on the cross about 9 a.m., And from about 9 a.m. to 12 noon, he was hanging up there, and the world, the, 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 the sun became dim, 
and there was darkness. And some people said, well, could it have been an eclipse or this, that, and the other? But darkness came on the world. Why? Because even the heavens were mourning because man didn't even know what he was doing. The heavens themselves mourned. The earth trembled. The mountains quaked and the, and the lights became dim. Why? Because the light of the world was being was leaving the world. So the heavens were mourning and the light of the world itself was growing dim. But then those three hours were darkness and then after those three hours McGee was pointing out that the lights came back on when light began to come out people people were actually horrified at his appearance on the cross it was beyond any human recognition that we see back in uh, chapter uh, 52 and we'll take up there in verse 14 as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human, beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Christ was beaten so badly, suffered so badly on the cross, he was marked beyond human recognition. And McGee states he was marred more than any other man. And when people people saw him again, they were shocked. And again, the ramifications in verse 15 from chapter 52 as we're setting this up. So shall he sprinkle many nations. He shall clean many nations. He shall sprinkle, that meaning with water, or his effect will ripple through many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. They won't have anything to say because of his sovereignty. For that which has not been told them, they see. In other words, finally they will see what the gospel message meant. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Many nations, meaning, interestingly, Gentile nations would be the ones that received his message. Even his own people didn't receive his message. Now let's take up chapter 53, verse 1, which is talking about Jesus. Who has believed what he has heard from us? Who has believed? This is maybe Isaiah asking this question. Like, who has even believed what I am saying? about what is happening. And who has even believed in the Christ? And whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So, whom has believed? These are references to Jesus. Whom has, who placed their faith in Him? He was rejected. When he was here. So let's look in several other sections of the Bible to illustrate that this he's talking about Jesus. Let's go over to John chapter 12. When Jesus had said these things, 
to the people. He's teaching the people. And he was saying, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So Jesus is he's saying the Son of Man must be lifted up. And I'll, let me just take up this just a little uh, longer in John chapter 12. Let's, let's back up to verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He's talking about the cross. But for this purpose I have come into this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard it said that it had thundered, so they didn't maybe hear the voice. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. I wonder. I imagine what that could have been like to hear that. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. He's going to be lifted up. He's going to be lifted up on the cross. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Jesus said, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So Jesus is talking about his own death. He's talking about that his son, his soul is even troubled because of this hour is coming and he knows it's coming. And the Father in heaven is reassuring everyone who can hear. But it's interesting that those hear with their ears but don't understand with their ears and they're seeing Jesus right in front of them with their eyes and they don't understand. And the light is among them and they don't know that He's the light of the world. Okay? So then, in verse 37, again, John chapter 12, when Jesus had said these things, He departed and hid Himself from them. Though He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe Him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And now this takes us back to Isaiah 53. Lord, this is quoting Isaiah now. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Okay, so this is talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus is fulfilling Isaiah chapter 53. This is what we're studying now. Therefore... This is uh, now uh, John 39. Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, now this is quoting Isaiah chapter 6, which we've read also. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn. Turn means repent and turn. And I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Okay, so John here is is, uh, giving us this insight from Jesus, and Jesus is saying the same thing. 
You're not, you're not even hearing with your ears. You just heard the word of God. You're not hearing me. I'm giving you the word of God. You're not seeing right in front of you. I am the personification of the word of God. I am the manifestation of God. I am the light of the world. But they don't even see with their own eyes. And now let's flip over to Romans chapter 10, verse 16. Um, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. Okay, again, that's quoting Isaiah chapter 53. And we'll back up a little bit on this. Um, um, we'll back up a few verses here in Romans 10 to set the stage. Well, why don't we go um, to chapter uh, verse 10. Chapter 10, verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For Scripture says everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now verse 14, chapter 10 in Romans. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they... To believe in Him of whom they have never heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But, this is our verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So again, talking about the gospel message, the message of Jesus Christ, that you know, and that's what uh, Romans is alluding to. It's all about Jesus Christ. They're all quoting Isaiah. Now we're back to the original Isaiah. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? <clears throat> again, this reference now to Jesus Christ. Verse 2. Uh, no, sorry, still in, still in, still in verse 1, it looks like. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord. Now, one reference, sticking out your arm is a sign of displaying your power. But Jesus displayed his power in his crucifixion. So his arm, his bare arm was laid for all to see. And it had been revealed. So in other words, his power was actually revealed in the position of his arm upon the cross. It's the same position as people display their power as they're raising their arms in power. His arms were raised in power, although the world looked at it as him being raised in submission. For he grew up before them like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. A root growing out of dry ground. Can you imagine being in the worst soil, like in the middle of the desert. And McGee says, like a head of lettuce growing out there in the middle of the desert. What a miracle that is, huh? But that's the way Jesus was. There was nothing around him that he should have grown from. There was no water. There was The conditions were not right. Jesus was born into a poor family. He was from the... 
you know, the house of David, David was from the house of Jesse. Jesse was a king, but by then the lineage had fallen into so many trials and tribulations. They were, they were a poor family at this point. Jesse's lineage went from nobility to, to poverty. The nation had gone from uh, the wealth of the, the word of God to poverty, impoverished in that they had turned from the word of God. They were <clears throat> an evil, wicked uh, culture. It was a faithless culture and uh, a very empty culture. And because of this, um, the nation had been into captivity. Again, as we saw earlier, the Assyrians came in and took over the northern kingdom. The Babylonians had come in and captured the um, southern kingdom. Okay, And so the nation of Israel had just suffered tremendously. <clears throat> this is what Jesus was being born into. And the other thing is, is that you got to remember, this book of Isaiah was written 700 years before Jesus was born. Okay? So, <clears throat> we're talking about the impoverishment of this nation. But again, this prophecy is talking about Jesus and describing His situation uh, amazingly 700 years before His his even birth. But he was like a, a root out of dry ground. He was the remnant that God's going to save. You know, we keep saying that the remnant, he's going to save the remnant. And he's the root. He's going to be the new root. He's the new vine that we're all going to be grafted into. Jew and Gentile alike. <clears throat> he had no form or majesty that we could look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Okay, this is all verse two. And um, when you when you read that, uh, McGee says a lot of people want to interpret that Jesus was an ugly guy or had some deformity. But McGee repudiates that by saying, you know, Jesus was the perfect man. He wasn't. He didn't have like a physical deformity, <clears throat> or he wasn't like malformed in his features. Jesus was perfect. So that, again, doesn't mean he's, um, uh, you know, um, a beautiful idol person either. But um, this uh, thing that Jesus was malformed or shapen is, McGee points out, is, is, uh, is scripturally, biblically incorrect because he was a perfect man. Uh, so... This is, as McGee points out, this is another description of his time on the cross. And when the lights came back on at 12 noon to 3 o'clock, when, when light came back into the world, the power of the cross had been accomplished. And light was coming back. Um, the third day he will rise from the dead. So Jesus is working out. His, our salvation, He has given up His life, and now we look, we look at his, his malformed body that was so marred beyond human resemblance that we saw back in Isaiah 52, verse 14. 
And when the lights came back on, they were shocked. He had no former majesty that we should look at him. They couldn't even look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. He was repulsive on the cross. Could you imagine how shocking he looked when people finally saw? Because people were sitting out there waiting to watch him die. That's what all this was about. You know, all this great crowd of here, the all of the you know the Pharisees and you know all these people were out there sitting around and they came for the show. They saw him um, mocked on trial and uh, they all voted for it. They saw the crucifixion. Now let's sit around and watch him die and see if he really is the Son of God. If he says he is, you know, and then. Darkness came on the world and they couldn't even see the power of God. Why? Because the light had gone out of the world. But it fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah 700 years plus years earlier when Isaiah said they won't be able to see with their own eyes or even hear with their own ears. They completely missed his life purpose and they completely missed the power of what was going on in his death. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus was a man of sorrows. He knows what suffering was. He was not this perfect guy who was out of touch with what we're going through. Whether you're going through cancer or depression or anxiety or the death of someone you love tremendously and you don't know how you can put one foot in front of the other and you just feel like all is lost, you don't have any hope. Jesus was very familiar with all of these things. Jesus knows what this is like. As one face and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus knows rejection. He came in the world, and His time on the world, it, it displays that we are living in a Christ-rejected world. When Christ was in the world, the world was a Christ-rejected world. Even now, Jesus Christ is rejected by the world. Who has believed those that think they see they don't see. They don't see what He's done. Those that think they hear, they don't even hear. They're, they're trusting their own eyes. They're trusting their own ears. They're trusting their own senses as to what's important. They're trusting their own eyes as to what is beautiful. Yet Jesus became the ultimate display of human ugliness on the cross. He was totally repulsive. And during his time here, we don't even get the accounts through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how despised he was, how rejected he was. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Surely, this means truthfully. This is the truth. The truth is that Jesus has all our grief inside of him. All of our feeling of helplessness, He has. And we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and yet we esteemed Him smitten. We, and yet, 
We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Isn't it interesting? And McGee points this out too. That yet, you know, when we look at him and we think of him on the cross, it's so easy when we're hurting or we're in pain or we have major diseases or dying, it's easy for us to put our faith in him because pain is sort of like this human common denominator that more easily links humans and their suffering with one another. You want to you wanna let a rich man come into uh, uh, a lot in common with a poor man? Make that rich man suffer. Make him in severe pain. All of a sudden, he'll be friends with anybody who can help him. And isn't it interesting? People that you'd never talk to, like during the course of the day, might be just a nurse or even someone cleaning your room in the hospital or someone bringing you food in the hospital. Somebody you'd never know in any other capacity. But when they're coming to help you in some way, some tangible way, look at the power of how that connection occurs. And Christians sometimes don't get involved to the point that we're helping make somebody making up their bed or giving somebody a sponge bath or bringing them food or adjusting their pillow or bringing them some form of comfort, turning off the light a little bit out of their eyes. Those common things that one person helps for another. Isn't it interesting? how that connects people and that connection with Jesus Christ on the cross when we're in trouble. We esteem Him for that. We esteem Him for what He did for us. Verse 5, But He was pierced for our transgressions. They stuck a spear in His side to make sure He was really, really dead when the lights came back on and they looked at Him till 3 o'clock and they said, You know what? Maybe we should break... uh, you know, break his legs or break some of the legs of the other ones to see if they were, you know, you know, the crowds were big. Maybe we should just break their legs and help them hurry up and die. But when they got to Jesus, they thought, well, wow, he's already dead. So they stuck a spear in him just to verify that they had done what uh, Pilate told him to do to kill him. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. In other words, he was his life was crushed for our sin. He laid down his life so that our sin would be on him and we would have his life, the life he deserved. And he took the death that we deserved. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Peace. What's our peace? It's peace with the Father in heaven because now we are no longer alienated to Him because of our sin. Jesus has now given us peace with the Father in heaven. And with His wounds we are healed. The wounds that Jesus was... was, uh, All of the wounds that He got was how much we are healed. There's nothing He didn't suffer that doesn't help us now. On all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one.
to his own way. In other words, every one of us are sinners. This is his sovereignty over us. It's Jesus Christ plus nothing else. None of us could do it. None of us are good enough to do what he did. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord, that's capital L-O-R-D. That means the Father in heaven. God the Father. God the Father has laid on him. This is Jesus Christ, God the Son. The iniquity of us all. God laid on him, his shoulders, all of our sin. What an amazing chapter. Isaiah 53 is worthy of the same status in the Bible as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It is, you can argue, the highest peak of the Bible to see what Jesus did. This is a vivid account of Jesus' death, Jesus' character, what Jesus carried around inside his heart. You want to know Jesus? You want to know God? Read Isaiah 53 right now with us. This is the humility of Christ. This is the humiliation of Christ. This is the power of Christ. John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. Jesus' time and death on the cross is the only way that we will have forgiveness of our sins and peace with God. So from me to all of you, God bless you. We'll see you next time. Uh, We're going into the weekend, so a great time to reflect on this. And Monday, we will continue in Isaiah 53. We've only gotten through the first six verses. So this is how power-packed this um, this chapter is. For, so for me to all of you, God bless you. I'll see you next time. And now I'll turn it over to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, I hope you're doing great. And I can't wait to hear what you're going to do with this. And uh, as always, I'll see you back on Monday. God bless you, and I'll see you next time. Hello, so today's teaching is coming from Isaiah chapter 53 verses 1 to 6. And here we see the revelation of suffering of Christ 700 years before Christ was born. um, Isaiah the prophet um, prophesied this. He prophesied the suffering of Christ the Savior. So this was 700 years before Christ was actually born in Isaiah's time. So, um, you know, in the book of Acts, we also see this quoted, um, you know, when the Ethiopian eunuch uh, was reading this particular chapter, chapter 53, and he asked Philip whom Isaiah was talking about. And um, there is also a quotation of this particular um, uh, thingy, chapter and verses um, in John chapter 12, verse 38 which states, um, let me just go to John chapter 12, verse 38, and it states that the word of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, 
least they should see with their eyes, least they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. So this particular um, revelation of the suffering of the Savior was actually um, uh, made mention of in Acts and in um, the book of John. So here we see a photograph of the cross of Christ as he was dying in this particular chapter, 53. So from verse 1 to 9, we see the suffering of Christ, who is the Savior. In verses 10 to 12, we see the satisfaction of the Savior. So the suffering, you know, so suffering and satisfaction go together. Suffering always precedes satisfaction. Even in life, when you want to achieve a particular goal, you know, in our present day situation, if you want to achieve a particular goal um, and you want to enjoy the benefits of whatever you want to achieve, you have to go through, you know, you have to go through a certain uh, amount of suffering. You have to go through some trials. You have to, you know, try and error until you actually reach that particular goal. So, um, you know, there is no shortcuts to satisfaction. There is no shortcut to happiness. You find a lot of people decide, oh, hey, um, let me take a short course in this because, you know, you want to achieve something um, or, you know, because you want to, um, like, if you look at uh, Christians today, they decide to you know, instead of learning the word of God as is and as is given, they decide to take all these short, short courses um, of seminary of, um, but you know, there is no shortcut. There's no two ways about it. You have to study the word of God um, and you have to ask the Holy Spirit to actually guide you to, so that you can actually understand what you are suffering, sorry, what you are studying. Um, so, you know, you have to have trials to get to the place of satisfaction. So, you know, even in scripture, it's written, weeping may, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So there's always, you know, they always go in correlation to, together, suffer, suffering and satisfaction. So, um, verse one of chapter 53 reads, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So here, um, you know, Isaiah is, is making um, enigmatic inquiry. You know, the prophet is registering a complaint because his message was not believed and received by man. Um, you know, and this we can see in uh, Isaiah chapter 6 when God um, had said, you're going to deliver a message and they won't listen. So his message is rejected. Um so, you know, here, um, you know, the world is rejecting Christ today. The world is in, um, is in a Christ, you know, we're living in a Christ-rejecting world. And, you know, it was even stated, you know, the world is actually going to reject you. Even when I read from um, John uh, 12, chapter 38, you know, um, which stated, that was chapter 38, sorry, John chapter 12, verses 38 through to 40, um, chapter 40 read, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they, do, they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that um, I should heal them. So, you know, today uh, people have turned, you know, a blind eye on, um, on Christ and they have rejected Christ. And this is what was actually, um, this is what Isaiah is actually bringing out. So um, God does not use, you know, man's methods to accomplish things on earth. God chooses 
the weak things of the world to confound the mighty one and god uses the foolish things to confound the wise so um you know at the end of the day um you know the the the, the painful places um all of us um are on you know when it comes to pain we like that those painful places we're all on well you know when it comes to pain we're all on the same um we're all on the same um place so let him draw you know our cold hearts to the warmth of the cross so you know god um you know the cross was an altar and it was a, a symbol of of drawing man's cold hearts to 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 him um and you know that cross was a symbol of um you know it was an altar and it was a symbol of you know god's suffering god took uh, christ took our place sorry christ took our place in order uh for us to actually be saved so you know when it comes to pain pain is pain we are all on the same plane um we're all at the same place um when um we endure suffering uh, and pain so you know man can pay nothing for salvation you know we can't go and say oh you know i am offering this and that you know god wants nothing from us we have nothing to give god so it costs god everything you know he had to bear his arm um and he gave his son to die on the cross in order to save us so we cannot take anything to god salvation is free but it's not cheap look what it cost god it cost god his son he had to bear his 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 arm for us on the cross so here verse 2 of chapter 53 goes on to read for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground he has no form of comeliness and when we see him there is no beauty that we should desire him so here you know the person of christ uh we are told you know you know we're told something of his origin on um the human side so um you know christ was a root out of a dry ground and um you know at the time of the birth of Christ um the family of David had you know had just been cut off the family of David was um you know they were peasants they were, had been cut off from kingship so they were peasants and you know the stem came out of um of Jesse uh you know they were peasants and you know they were no longer princes so the nation Israel was under the iron rule of the Romans so um you know that lineage of kingship had actually been cut off so um you know in such a situation christ came from you know a noble family a noble and humble family and that was um cut off from um you know a nation and you know that had become um a vassal to to rome so rome was actually ruling israel then so you know um imagine you know you you're walking in a in a desert or you know in a desolate place you know where it's just arid and dry land and you see a beautiful flower springing out from 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 under this um you know under this arid dry land you know uh and this is what Christ represents he is a beautiful flower from the dry ground that came um and it came from god so evolution has been trying to get rid of god because humanity can't produce him but he came to humanity so evolution could never turn out a jesus evolution has tries to explain you know, the origin of man and how man started but evolution has never been able to turn out 
a person um, of, you know, a person like Christ, a perfect person, perfect, you know, um, who is perfect in every way. So his suffering, you know, on that cross was so intense that he, you know, he became misshapen. So this is what this particular uh, chapter is saying, you know, um, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So, um, you know, as Dr. J.V. McGee pointed out, a lot uh, other people have, you know, have been, you know, have, um, have alluded to the fact that, you know, Christ was not, uh, you know, was not great to look upon. He was, he was, he was, um, he was misshapen and, um. But that's not the case. Um, what, you know, um, what he endured on the cross uh, was not a pretty thing. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, um, when, you know, when he was enduring that death on the cross, he was just a quivering piece of flesh. He was so, so badly uh, beaten, so badly broken. And, you know, he endured what no man endured on that cross. So the cross... Um, was not a pretty thing. And, you know, what is the meaning of his death and his suffering to us? That's what we should ask ourselves. You know, the Lord has, um, you know, has laid on him the iniquity of all of us. And um, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him uh, because Christ was on the, you know, Christ was on the cross for six hours. He was hanging on, um, he was hanging on the cross between um, heaven and earth. Um, from nine o'clock in the morning till three um, o'clock in the afternoon. And, you know, the first three hours, you know, man did his worst. Man rejected him, spat on him, nailed him to the cross and, um, and then sat down to actually watch him. And then, you know, at 12 uh, o'clock, that's noon, you know, after he hung for three hours in agony, you know, God drew a veil, um, over the sun, um, and darkness covered the scene, shutting out from um, human eye the transaction between the Father and the Son. And Christ became the sacrifice for the sin of the world. So God made him an offering for sin. He was treated as sin. So Christ became sin for us. So, um, you know, if you, if you want to ask yourself, does God hate sin? And... Um, if you want to ask yourself, will God punish sin? All we have to do is look at the cross. All we have to do is look at what Christ actually endured for us. The sin he bore for us on that particular cross. That's how much God hates sin. And God offered his only son because God has a lot of grace and mercy for us. And it's only by God's grace that we're actually going to be saved. It's nothing that we take to God or nothing that we actually do and present to God and say, you know, I've done this, I've done that. That won't save us. We, we, um, it's only by God's grace that we're actually saved because, you know, we have to go to him in sincerity and we have to go to him in faith. That's the only thing that's actually going to save us. So the cross became an altar where uh, we behold a lamb of God, you know, taking away the sins of the world. And he was dying for you and for me. So I'll, I'll just quickly read through um, uh, verse 3. It says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and he hid, and we hid as uh, it were our faces from him. So, you know, um, Christ was rejected there on the cross and he was despised and we did not esteem him. So surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed with we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. 
So, you know, um, God allowed it to actually happen. Um, God made Christ um, bear our sins for us on that particular cross. Um, we bruised him. Um, God allowed him to be bruised because, I mean, God had the power to actually, um, um, you know, protect him and stop it all. But, you know, it had to be done. A sacrifice had to, 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 to be given um, in order to take away the sins of the world. So here, verse 5 and 6, go on to read, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Um, the chastisement of our pace of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we are, all we like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So he was taking yours and my place. Um, on that particular cross. He was perfect. He had done nothing wrong. He was a substitute that the love of God provided for us so that we might be saved. So God loves us that much that he gave his only son to die for us on that cross. He, you know, he was rejected. He, he suffered. He went through all this, all in all to just save us. So, you know, if we look to the cross, um, the cross represents, you know, that altar of God that he, 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 um, the cross represents hope and the cross represents, um, salvation, our salvation. The cross also represents, you know, how much God hates sin. And the cross also represents, um, you know, the punishment of God because of, um, our sin. Uh, and God loves us that much that, you know, he, he gave everything. Um, he laid his arm for us there on the cross. He gave everything and Christ bore, um, all our sins, he became sin for us at, you know, those particular six hours and that he was on the cross. So, yeah, this is today's teaching. I hope you all, um, you know, enjoyed today's teaching as much as I did. Thank you all for listening in. God bless and have a pleasant, pleasant Friday. Bye-bye.